We are in a series of messages here at our church called, uh, called At the Movies, and we're looking at the movie Hacksaw Ridge. Have you seen this movie? It's one of the best movies I've ever seen. If you haven't seen the movie, I am going to ruin it for you, uh, but it's still worth a view. Uh, it is one of the best movies I've ever seen, really. Now, every time I do these series of messages on, at the movies, I always have to ask myself, what passage of Scripture relates well um, with the story of the movie, but in this case, I didn't actually have to ask that question because if you've seen the movie, you got to look carefully, you got to look quickly. There's a scene where Private Benjamin Doss, the main character, is flipping through his Bible in his bunker and he flips to 1 Samuel 17. And 1 Samuel 17 is the famous story of David and Goliath. And the reason why I believe Mel Gibson put that little scene in there, a little shot of 1 Samuel 17 in the movie is because I believe he understood the parallels between what Benjamin Doss did and what a guy named David did thousands of years ago. And so today we're going to look at the story of Benjamin, of uh, Desmond Doss and David and Goliath. The title of the message, Hacksaw Ridge and the Unexpected Savior. Hacksaw Ridge and the Unexpected Savior. First Samuel 7. So, what's Hacksaw Ridge? It's about, it's about, it's a true story. Based on Desmond Doss, he is a conscientious cooperator uh, with the U.S. Army during World War II. Conscientious cooperator, meaning he doesn't want to carry a weapon or kill, but he wants to help the army in any way that he can win the war. And uh, this is because of his Christian faith, his religious faith. He's a Seventh-day Adventist. This is back in the days when denominations were very, very big in America. But he's a Seventh-day Adventist. He can't work on Saturday, and he won't kill. He won't use a weapon. Well, everybody thinks he's crazy. Everybody thinks he's nuts. Everybody uh, disbelieves him. They kind of uh, belittle him in the, in the army bunker. They actually beat him up in one season, in one scene. And it's just a real hard hard uh, experience for him to go into battle without a weapon. And it's really the story of David and Goliath. It's an amazing parallel. Back way in Israel's history, there was a great champion challenging God's people. That champion's name was Goliath. And the Bible does this thing where it really shows us what Goliath is all about. And there's little David. He comes into the battle without a sword. And the Bible is very specific to mention that he has no sword and he doesn't have the armament of Goliath. And so let's take a look at this story because this story has inspired so many people throughout human history. I mean, David and Goliath, it is like one of ESPN's favorite phrases, right? Remember, Boston sports fans, that there was a time when our teams stunk do you remember this? You gotta be about my age to remember the dark years. I call them BT, BTB, before Tom Brady. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? And it was way back, if you remember, in 2001, when Tom Brady, that rookie unproven quarterback, you could call him David, took down the greatest football team on the planet at that time, and it was the, it was the Big parallel, David versus Goliath. Now, unfortunately, all Boston sports teams have become Goliath. And so every once in a while, there's an upstart Nick Foles 
that comes around and upends the championship quests around here. Anyway, yay, Red Sox. Okay, uh, <coughs> let's take a look at this. Let's go to 1 Samuel 17. Would you stand with me as we read from the Bible? Read from God's Word. I'm going to read verses 41 to 50, and we'll back up in the message and look at it. And it says this, And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David with his shield-bearer in front of him. When the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and spear and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will give you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head, and I will give the dead bodies of the hosts of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And that all this assembly may know that the Lord, listen to this, saves not with sword and spear, for the battle's the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. And the Philistine arose and came near uh, and drew nearer to meet David. David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and struck down the Philistine and killed him. And listen to this line. There was no sword in the hand of David. This is God's word. Would you pray with me? Father, I ask for this next few moments to be saturated with your presence, to be filled with the moment to hear your voice. I know in my heart, Lord, and I know according to your word, you love every person that's listening to this message right now, and you want to speak to them. And I pray that we will hear your voice, and I pray that we will see Jesus. In his mighty name we pray, and everybody said, amen. amen. God bless you. Have a seat. So how do we get to this point, David versus Goliath? Well, it starts not with David. It starts with Goliath. Verse 4 says this, There came out of the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. And the text is very deliberate. It actually spends a ton of time describing what Goliath looked like. Look with me here. We'll put it on the screen. Verse 5. He had a helmet of bronze. He was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of his coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze, and he had bronze armor and his legs, on his legs and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam. That's a way of saying it was huge. And his spearhead weighed six, the spearhead, the spearhead weighed 600 shekels of iron. That's 15 pounds. And his shield bearer went before him. Okay, what's going on? Why so much detail about Goliath? Because the text wants us to see that Goliath stands for something far more than just an ancient Philistine. First thought, did you notice there's a couple of descriptions you should pay attention to? He's six cubits tall. A cubit is the length between your elbow and the tip of your finger in the ancient world, ancient measuring system. It was always adjustable depending on the length of that area. Uh, so six cubits tall. And um, he had... Uh, a spearhead that weighed 600 shekels. And thirdly, 
If you count the number of things mentioned in his armor, there are six things. Six, six, six. This is pointing to our ancient enemy and our foreboding enemy. That the text of the Bible is very clear that you have a spiritual enemy. By the way, he's dressed in a coat of mail. If you've ever seen this, this is like that metallic looking, scaly looking armor that medieval knights would wear. And if you look closely, it looks like the scales of a snake. So you have a man, an ancient enemy of this small little nation of Israel that actually represents something much more larger and something much more cosmic than just him. He's pointing to the spiritual enemy of our souls. And you need to understand that just as Goliath came against Israel, so too your spiritual enemy will come against you. And what does Goliath do? He mocks Israel. He curses David. He defies the God of Israel. Verse 10, he says, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. And you know what the Bible says? The whole nation, the whole army of Israel is scared. They're fearful and they run and they hide from Goliath. Look what it says in verse 11. Um, this is really sad. When Saul and all Israel heard the words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Who, who's Saul? Saul at the time was Israel's king. And you remember when Saul becomes king, he's He's called king because he's actually a head and shoulders taller than all the other people of Israel. So Saul is not that much shorter than Goliath. And on top of that, in, verse, in uh, 1 Samuel 13, it tells us that all of Israel didn't have any armor. The only people who had any military armor were Saul, King Saul, and his son Jonathan. So the one guy that was at least able to measure up kind of to Goliath and had the armor to face Goliath, was afraid of Goliath. This is dire straits. And everybody else is scared. Like when your king is scared, you know, that's one thing for a nation to be scared. But when your leader is like, I don't know what to do. That's a big problem. And the text says this again in verse 24. Look with me. All the men of Israel, when they saw the man Goliath, fled from him. They were running from him and were much afraid. Point number one, if you're taking notes, write this down. Number one, the Bible's trying to tell us, we all have fears. Every single one of us. We all have something that we're scared of. Even right now, I bet you there's something on your mind that you're just worried that it might happen. You might lose your job. You might lose your loved one. You might lose your life. Who knows? I think that really our fears come down to three main character, care, uh, categories. Three main categories of fear. Number one, not having enough. What if I don't have enough money in my account? This is why a lot of people don't honor God with a tithe because they're afraid that the God that they are going to tithe to won't supply their needs. That's ridiculous. If you honor him, he'll honor you. It's just fear. It's just fear that God doesn't love you. God's not going to take care of you. I have this fear, by the way. Now, I tithe. I give the first tenth to God. And my wife and I, we Save 10%. We've gotten to that wonderful place financially where I hope all of you can get to. 10, 10, 80. 
10% to God, 10% to savings, and 80% managed, and you live on, and it creates margin and a peace in your heart. But still to this day, that old ancient serpent comes and tempts me and says, don't do it. You're not going to have enough. I wonder who here is afraid you might lose your job. You might get replaced by a robot. You might get replaced by somebody who's younger and cheaper. Some of you are like, well, I never thought about that, but thanks for putting it in my head. Now I'm afraid. We all have fears, right? We all have fears. Number two fear, not having love. This is a big one. For the single people in the church, what if I never get married? I'm 20 years old, I'll never get married. What if I'm 30? I'll never get married. What if I never get married? What if I get to 40 and I never, I'm still not married? What if I get to 50? What if I get to, if you make it to 60, embrace singlehood. It's over. Serve the Lord. <laughs> Just kidding. Or here's the deal. You fear that you might never find love, but then you find love, and guess what now? What if I lose love? What if they walk out on me? What if they divorce me? I mean, really, this is how the enemy works on us. And he taunts us, and he speaks to us, and he causes us anxiety. Anxiety is a huge problem in our world today. People are diagnosed anxious. 25% of Americans claim to be struggling with anxiety. Do you really think that God wants you to be anxious? Do you really think that God wants you to just be nervous all your life? And there are some people, they're nervous, even as, they're nervous Christians. Well, what if I do something that's so bad that God can't forgive me? This is why you got to come to church and you got to let me yell at you for a few moments. To remind you that there is no sin, there is no shame, there is no guilt that God's grace cannot overcome in your life. Where sin abounds, grace therefore much more abounds. God bless you. Move forward in faith. Walk in boldness knowing that your Father loves you. Right? But we have these fears. Or the third category of fear, death. This one's big. Because this is the one we can't avoid. The mortality rate for human beings is hovering right around 100%. It's been that way for quite some time now. <laughs> and you say, well, I'm not afraid of dying personally, but what if one of your loved ones dies? God forbid a child dies, a brother, a sister, your wife, your spouse. These fears can lock us up, cause us to run and hide, and, and here's how we have commonly taken the story of David and Goliath. Conquer your fears. Be like David. When the, when the enemy comes, you run at him and you take your five stones with you. Lord knows I've heard these kind of messages. You take the stone of praise, the stone of prayer, the stone of perseverance, the stone of power, the stone of Something else that begins with P. <laughs> and you run, and you run, and you face your giant because nobody can stand against you. What if that's not the story? What if that's not the lesson? What if it's better than that? Because when, when, when all Israel is afraid, God sends them somebody who faces that giant for them. Send me a man, Goliath says, and God says, okay. So the Bible says David 
Wasn't even in the battlefield. No, he was watching his dad's sheep. Verse 17, and Jesse said to David, take for your brothers an ephah of parched grain and these 10 loaves and carry them quickly to the camp of your brothers. And also take these 10 cheeses to the commander of the thousand. See if your brothers are well and bring some token from them. And David sets off at his father's request. You could say this. He's sent by his father into the battle that his brothers can't win. Verse 20, it says, and David arrives, or sorry, David rises early in the morning and left. Just look at, why, did the, why does the text have little phrases like this? And he left the sheep with the keeper. Like, why put that there? Because what the text wants us to see is that David is a good shepherd. He's not going to abandon any sheep. And he took the provisions and went as Jesse commanded him. And he came to the encampment and the host was going out to battle, shouting the war cry. And then Goliath comes out and he does his little speech. I defy you, send me a man and we will fight. And if you guys win, we serve you. And if, you, if we win, you serve us. David hears it. The army is like shuddering. And David says, hey, wait a second. What shall be done? Verse 26. For the one who kills this Philistine. And... Um, it says this, who will take the approach away from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? See, David says uncircumcised Philistine because the circumcision act was a sign of the covenant promises of God to Israel. And David knew that he had a promise from God and that Philistine didn't. Who is he to speak against the promises that I got in my father? And so he's willing to take him up on the offer. And the Bible says this. David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul, even he's like, are you kidding? You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight him for you are youth. He's been a man of war from his youth. And this is the story, right? This is the story of Desmond Doss because he wants to go to battle without training, without, without a military weapon. And, and, and even David doesn't go with Saul's armor. Saul tries to outfit him with his armor. And it doesn't fit and say, David, I can't go with this. I'm just gonna go as I know how to go. Saul thinks he's crazy. There's a passage in the, in the text, we didn't, we didn't read it. His brothers think he's crazy and kind of hate on him for a little bit. Everybody thinks he's nuts. And David is willing to go. It's the story of Desmond Doss. I want you to see this composite of all the people that criticized and, and, and doubted and disbelieved Desmond Doss's ability to go into battle. And so David is willing to go to war without, war without the proper armor and Saul tries to outfit him. And then this is what happens. Saul says, you can't fight him. And, and David tells him some stories about how he delivered his father's sheep from a bear and from a lion. And he says this in verse 37, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul's finally like, fine, just go, just go. And in verse 40, then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand and he approached the Philistine. And so the story goes that David goes out in that battle. Saul defies him and curses him and calls him a dog. And then he runs towards the Philistine with his sling whipping in his hand. And he flings the stone and it sinks into Saul's, uh, uh, 
Goliath's forehead and he falls down. And most of us take that to mean go after your fears. Go after the things that challenge you. Be like David. But I got a question. Let's just be honest because we're in church after all. On the battlefield that day, would we really have been David? Oh, it's easy to look back at these Bible stories and know how they end and believe that you could possibly have been that David, but I don't think so. I don't think so. Let's be honest. There were thousands of people in the army that day, thousands. One David, plant yourself back in that moment in human history. Are you him? I don't think I am. And I'm on stage. So that automatically means you got no shot. <laughs> because I don't think that the story is asking us to be like David. I think the story is asking us to see that God sent his fearful people a David. Because here's number two. The answer to our fears is not a program or principles or path. The answer to our fears is a person. And this is what God wants you to know today. The answer to your fears is not a six-step process by which you will conquer your demons. The answer is a person. And in Israel's day, that person was David. And in our day, that person is the son of David, Jesus. God sent Jesus to take down our Goliath. Even David doesn't say, follow me, boys. I'll show you how it's done. No, he says, I'll do it. I trust my father to take care of this battle. And he offers himself as a human sacrifice for the people of Israel. You say, well, this, how does this help me? Because when you're really afraid... You need someone there. I have a six-year-old son. He's not afraid of not having enough money. He's not afraid of losing love. And uh, he's not afraid of death. But he is very scared of going to bed. <laughs> and every night we put him to bed, every night, and we pray. And we go over to our couch, and my wife and I, we get to what we call our time. Any parents know what I'm talking about? That's our time. And sure enough, on average, three to four times a night, little feet come pitter-pattering out and say, I'm scared. And my wife has to go back, pray, tuck him in, and come back. And we put the TV back on. And... And I have to go back and put him in. And this happens all the time. Well, a couple of nights ago, my wife is like, I'm done. Your turn. <laughs> so I say, okay, I'm a man. I'll get the job done. That's how we are. We get the job done. Enough fooling around. So I go over there. I say, all right, let me tell you. What's your problem? What are you so scared of? And he says something I didn't expect. He says, I'm scared of Satan. Yeah. Except I'm like, well, you're in luck. Because I'm a preacher. You know, there's something I know how to talk about. It's Satan. 
So I start going off on him theologically. Well, don't you know that Jesus defeated Satan at the cross 2,000 years ago? His blood atoned for your sins. And Satan, your accuser, can no longer accuse you before the Father. And now you are free indeed in Jesus' name. Now pray and go to bed. It didn't work. I'm not called to children's ministry. (laughs) He comes back out. I go back in. Now I'm going to reason with a six-year-old. I said, listen, Jake, you're six years old. There's one Satan, and there's a big world. You think that Satan, with all the world leaders he's got to worry about, all the capitals, you think he's going to waste his time with a six-year-old boy in New England? This is why you don't want me in children's ministry, right here. This is why, right here. I think, case closed, took care of that. Sure enough, five minutes later. Didn't work again. And I realized something that night. As my wife lovingly got back up and went back and laid down with our son until he went to bed. I realized that night that that child taught me something that you need to hear today and I need to hear that night. That when we are really scared... When we are really nervous, we don't need theology and we don't need rationality. We need somebody to sit with us and be with us in the middle of our darkest hours. And I'm telling you today that that person is Jesus because the guy who went to battle that day knew that the Lord was always with him, that though he walked through the valley of the shadow of death, he would fear no evil for you are with me and your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Do you understand what the Bible is trying to tell you through the life of David and Goliath? He's trying to tell you, you don't have to fear because you've got God in the person of the Holy Spirit in you and Jesus Christ walking with you. It's not moralism. It's not be brave. It's be with him. Samuel, uh, David runs into that battle and he says, today, verse 46, the Lord will conquer you and I will kill you and cut off your head and I'll give the dead bodies of your men to the birds of the wild animals and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. Do you know something? That passage came true because of what happened on that battlefield that day. Most of the world believes there's one Lord, there's one God. Even unbelievers who reject God believe there's only one. (laughs) It's true. Where does that come from? Most ancient cultures were pagans. They worshiped all kinds of gods. Still to this day, Hindus, they worship 300,000 gods. Most of the world, though, believes there's one God. Where does it come from? It comes from that battlefield that day when that giant was finally slain and was pointing to the son who would come sent from his father and slay the final Goliath of your life. See, Isaiah says it like this. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, I am your God. I'm with you. And if you lose that job, I'm with you. And if you lose that spouse, I'm with you. And heaven forbid, but if you lose that child, I'm with you. And I will strengthen you. And I will uphold you. With my righteous right hand. The answer to our fears is not a program. It's a person. And that person is Jesus. 
So, the text goes on. David does what he said he's going to do. And he triumphs over the Philistine with only a sling and a stone. And he had no sword. And when the Philistines saw, listen, that their champion was dead, it says this, they turned and ran. Then the men of Israel and Judah gave a great shout of triumph and rushed after the Philistines, chasing them as far as Gath and the gates of Enron. Don't you see what the text is actually telling us? Because David conquered Goliath, the Israelites could charge forward and conquer the rest of the Philistines. And that happened for us 2,000 years ago. Number three, if you're taking notes, victory over our fears was accomplished by the true son of David, Jesus Christ. He took down your fears. He took down death. Look what it says in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil, who had the power of, he had the power of, now Jesus has the keys of hell and death. And only in this way could he set free, somebody say set free, all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. Slaves to the fear of dying, what does that mean? That means... If you're living like you got to get all you can right now, you got to live it up right now, guess what? You're a slave to the fear of dying. If you march to the chant of hashtag YOLO, YOLO, you only live once, YOLO, hashtag, so I'm going to do it. I'm going to throw caution to the wind. I'm going to do it because you only live once. Slave. Slave to the fear. It's not YOLO. It's YOLT. Y-O-L-T. Because after this life is another one. And if it's secured in the blood of Jesus, then the wrongs that you experience and the hurt that you experience and the shame that you experience and the, and the things that you miss out on this life, it's not going to matter. You're on this planet, if you're lucky, for 80 to 90 years. You're in the next life for eternity. Unlimited possibility, secured and purchased at the cross for you through the blood of Jesus. So you don't have to hold on for dear life to all that this life gives you and promises you. You can live free because it's not the end. You know, the Bible, I'm sorry, the movie. <laughs> the movie ends with that captain who so hated Desmond Doss's stance actually coming to need him as he saved 75 men the night before. All the men want to go into battle, but they refuse to go without Desmond Doss. See, his victory gave them the courage to face their enemies. Vicariously, Desmond Doss carried those men to battle. And I want you to know that Jesus Christ can do the same for you. That's why the book of Hebrews says, let us run our race that God has set before us. How do we do it? keeping our eyes not on David, not on Noah, not on Abraham, not on Moses. Thank you, God, for using them. We keep our eyes on Jesus, who initiates and perfects our faith. So now we have assurance in Christ. Number one, we will always have enough because through Jesus, God is our Father. Number two, 
We are eternally loved. Why? Because the Father gave the Son. And the cross stands in human history, A.D., B.C., as a testimony to the reality that God loves you. God loves you. And number three, we have eternal life. Why? Because the Son took our death. I don't know what fears you're facing, but you don't have to face them alone. And it could be for some of you, the very one that you didn't have anything to do with, Jesus, is the very one who can be the answer to all your fears.